0: Welcome to Fresh Text. Uh, Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple of uh, lovers of the scriptures and scholars of sort uh, spend a little time digging into the word, geeking out together, and exploring where maybe some preaching possibilities uh, might uh, emerge. And we hope that this would be of some edification for all who listen, especially pastors who are uh, working on sermons, but uh, anyone who might find some benefit from uh, giving this a listen. So my special, I'm your, uh, I should say myself, it's yet again, John Drury, your regular uh, co-host for this uh, podcast. I teach uh, Systematic Theology uh, at Wesley Seminary at Indian Wesleyan University. And today I have a special guest, first time guest, uh, Lenny Lucetti. He is a professor, he's full professor of uh, proclamation, and uh Christian ministry I don't remember his title off the top of my head, but I know a lot of things he did uh he he's uh been a been a professor here for almost ten years, and he has a few books out, um including his latest is preaching with empathy and I think we mentioned that at the end of the episode as well and yeah, he's taught here for a long time. He and I started here at the seminary together uh, second year of its existence as an institution. And we both uh, actually served, uh, in very different ministry experiences. He much longer and much more successfully. Uh, <laughs> it is hopefully I was faithful, but definitely not successful, but, uh, out in, uh, out East, he was in Pennsylvania. Um, fun fact, he actually was, he actually pastored at, uh, my grandfather's, uh, uh, former church where he had pastored back in the sixties. I don't know why that matters other than it's very funny because my grandfather's name was Leonard as well as is, uh, Lenny is full name is Leonard. So anyway, he, uh, he pastored that growing turnaround church, uh, an amazing place, uh, that uh, really just had a transforming impact on a lot of people, and so he has a great story and teaches preaching and is one of our most popular professors here. And so I'm so glad you, you all get a chance to uh, hear what he has to say about the the scriptures and and uh, we have a nice conversation and get into it. So I uh, hope you enjoy it and uh, be sure to uh, subscribe and review us on iTunes. And uh, yeah, and now to the show. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's uh, let's crack it open. Um, So we're looking at the third Sunday of Lent, uh, and it's year C. So ABC tend to lean Matthew, Mark, Luke with a bunch of John spread out over all three years. And it's Luke chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 9. Um, If you're willing, would you be willing to read? Sure. And then I'll say a prayer. Is recording right now? Yeah, yeah. We were recording. recording, just recording. <laughs> Jeez. If I don't start it before you come in, I'll forget to Do press start. Do you care start. about the
1: version?
0: You... No, whatever version you like. Okay. I mean, Ken, I did one with Ken uh, two weeks back, and he just did his own fresh translation on yeah. the spot. <laughs> you got one of those words, Lenny? No. <laughs>
1: okay, I will be reading from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9 of the New International Version. Here we go. Now there was some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down.
0: Well, let's say a word of prayer together. Let's pray.
1: Hmm.
0: Father in heaven, we give you thanks. For this day which you have made, we give you thanks for this hour to which we have been sent to study your word together. We give you thanks for this written word of God for us today. We ask, Father, for a fresh anointing of your Spirit on each of us, speaking, and all those who. We'll listen to this recording when the time is right for them. That we all may be awakened and illumined by your Holy Spirit to see and hear what it is you wish us to see and hear, and to be blessed with the discernment to determine what we ought to say to those you have entrusted under our care. We ask these things in the name of your son Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, like I mentioned we've been exper- been experimenting with more of a three-part rhythm than a two and the idea is and, and it was more to sort of solve a recording problem and then we kind of realized like oh this is like the classic observation interpretation application triplet which itself is rooted in the middle ages of lectio meditatio right so just we want to start with that observation that lectio like what do you notice what do you see what 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 strikes you (laughs) um just observations we won't we won't chase down the questions at first we'll come back to them so we'll just rattle off some observations what do you
1: notice my first observation is that you were asking me to be a part of this uh Fresh text this week, yeah. And I looked at the heading of the passage: "Repent or perish." And I wondered <coughs> if if you were trying
0: to tell me something.
1: <laughs> so I was a little nervous about that. Uh, this is a tough passage. Just my really an observation. Um, uh, and it's a, it's a hard one. I mean, it's, a, it's a hard saying from Jesus. Yeah, I mean, he's got a bunch of these. I mean, he we we tend to sugarcoat him and soften him mm-hmm. up, and you know. Uh, Use all kinds of euphemisms to to soften the blow of some of his hard words. This is a this is a hard text. Yeah. Uh, I guess one of my observations in the first part of the text is that uh, I would I really resisted the urge to run to Josephus or somebody who might mm. tell me about the events ah, Jesus ah. is referring to. Yeah. So I I really have a lot of questions about uh, this event where Pilate mixed the blood of Galileans. Yeah. Um, with sacrifices and and you know the tower falling on people living in Jerusalem, um but once I got through all that and sort of my own angst about wanting to to go chase down that historical rabbit trail, um, still, what came out is that the tendency of people in Jesus' context to judge others as worse sinners mm. than they yeah. themselves are, yeah. And I think Jesus is sort of cutting to the chase that, you know, you think they had it rough. You think they were awful. Yeah. Well, unless you repent, you too will experience the same sort of thing, which again is a hard saying.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an example of the wisdom of um, withholding the quick rush to, to get one's questions answered, even when we're studying a text, right? Because you might've actually gone, spent an hour in commentaries, learned a bunch of interesting stuff and then forgot like the point. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, I'm not saying that stuff's not important. Right. And we might glance at that. Maybe we will grab a commentary off the show. I got one here on Luke uh, in the second section if we want. But um, like, it's important to just kind of like sit with it because then we can focus on the point of the text. Because you don't actually need to know about the historical background to see the point that Jesus is making. Now, it might illuminate. Right. It. It might illuminate. And but, especially
1: in a case like this where the text is is tough. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's harsh, really. Yeah.
0: And it's penetrating.
1: Yeah. It's convicting. And so a lot of times when I'm in the ah. text, I have to fight the urge to go run to the rabbit trailing and and uh, chase down the historical background, which takes the pressure off That's me. right. And again, we don't want to run, jump too quickly to application for me today. Uh, but this text especially.
0: But for uh, you just as a reader. Yeah. Just, right? reader, just like, to sit with it. Just to sit with it. And as you're I was, so right. Research can be an escape a way of escaping the text as a word yep. spoken in the moment, yep. you know? Yep. Uh, oh, you're so right. You're yep. so right. Um, and already having some questions and hunches um, then gives us some guidance when we explore that. And then we know why we're looking into it. I remember how one of the, my teachers in college would like make us like, write these like three pages of questions and hand them in. And that was an assignment about a type. but, and we were not allowed to look, do any research then the next week we'd do research on, we'd pick a couple questions, yes. you know, and like, that was so helpful to just kind of say like, because so it, we're, it's not a bunny trail to say there is a historical question raised by this text. That's, that's an observation. Mm-hmm. That's you saying, I want to know what's, what was happening in this, <laughs> this tower, this, or what's going on here. That's an observation. Yeah. But, and sitting with it, yeah.
1: sitting with it long enough so that when we do go to the historians, the dictionaries, the commentaries, we're not we're not just a blind tourist being led or naturally now a conversation yeah, partner, yeah, yeah. we thought about the question. Yeah. And when you, when you wrestle with a question, you tend to uh, interact with others better yep. in the discussion of it and coming to some kind of resolution or conclusion about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I'm um, the, there's three things that struck me in the first half. I guess maybe the first observation is that there really are kind of like two stories mm-hmm. here. I mean, they're, they're, Connected maybe somehow, but it's not clear how. So the first four verses here, this dialogue about these two catastrophes, right? And something that jumped out at me is just really blatantly in that first verse, just this, this, um, just the, the gruesomeness of this story, right? Who told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. I, I'm trying to even just picture that in my mind. You know, um, was it was it a was it a an execution, and then taking their blood and putting it into a sacrifice, or was it was it that he executed them in the temple maybe, and then their blood would have spilled and it would have mixed, you know what I mean, with the blood that was already being spilled mm-hmm. of a lamb, like mm-hmm. if it was during Passover even, you know, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways it could play out, but no matter how it took place, this is this is a gruesome you know, act of, of oppression by, you know, an, uh this Roman, you know, um, uh, you know, imperial uh, governor. Yeah. The other thing that jumped out at me was the choice that, that can't be accidental uh, of Christ to, after being asked about the Galileans, he's, he's, he's either in gallery, this is in this, this is chapter, you know, 10 to 10 to 19 of Luke. He's on the way to Jerusalem. So he could be Galilee, he could be Samaria, he's somewhere, but you know, he's not, full-blown he's not a local galilean prophet anymore and so you could tell i was like hey your fellow galileans these are people you should care about and how he brings up jerusalemites right so there's two like two stories of of uh catastrophe a galilean catastrophe and a jerusalemite catastrophe i think that's interesting that he's kind of like well what about the jerusalemites too i there's something there maybe i'm just noticing too yeah go for it's never occurred to me
1: until just now um it says there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans' mm-hmm. whose blood. So Jesus, of course, is from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus is right. a Galilean. Mm-hmm. So somebody, as Jesus is, I think, uh, as he's en route to Jerusalem from Galilee, uh, somebody recognizes him perhaps as a Galilean yeah. and says, that, By that? the way, uh, the Roman in charge... Butchered some of your people, Galileans, yes. and I wonder, you know, as we as we look at some of the other gospels, and we don't get too far out of this passage, but there were some who really wanted Jesus to lead in a Jewish revolt against Rome, and I wonder if they were trying to appeal to Jesus, uh, and, hey, one of your hometown, some of your hometown yeah, crew were, were butchered right. by this pilot
0: revolt. Yeah, you want to lead us, some will follow, and, and we home. often say some wanted that, and but it's also important to recognize. Jesus' behavior implied that. It's not like he was doing something obviously pointing. I mean, he is, he's on his way is usually how it's translated. He's traveling to Jerusalem. But now you you can read too much into a verb, but there are different ways of, there are different verbs to choose. The verb that Luke chooses over and over and over again is peruamai, and it's proceeding. It's, it's the word you would use in a formal sense of someone on a campaign, proceeding Mm, on his way mm, to Jerusalem. Yeah. And the set his face on Jerusalem. We shouldn't think of that as a private matter of his will. This is a publicly known people know he's heading for Jerusalem, you know? Um, And so it's kind of like, it's a, maybe it's a warning. It's dangerous down there. Maybe it's a one more reason. Hey, mention this in your next sermon so that we can get some more people to go down there and kick some tail. So I'm hearing what you're saying that, and it's relevant because he's on his way from Galilee, to Jerusalem. Pilate is in Jerusalem. Pilate's jurisdiction is in Judea. He's, there's even a scene. I don't know if it's in Luke or, I don't know if it's on all the gospels, but there's a scene where Herod, I think it's in Luke, uh, finds out that Jesus is a Galilean and real, or Her, uh, Pilate realizes Jesus is a Galilean and sends him to Herod because Galilee's not under his jurisdiction. Are you on that right now? Yep. Read it to us. Chapter 23
1: of Luke. Yeah. So Pilate and Herod are together. Uh, I'm talking about this. Uh, Let's see here. I'm looking for the passage. Yeah, the end of chapter 22. and then chapter 23.
0: Like 22 59, maybe.
1: Yeah. So Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no base for charge against him. Yeah. Uh, they insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all this way. So that's more of <laughs> the people saying that. Mind, so uh, so Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he, he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, uh, who also was in Jerusalem at the time. So, So Herod, whose jurisdiction is Galilee, where Jesus is from, mm-hmm. happens to be in Jerusalem. And I don't know if Luke says it, but uh, uh, I don't. I'm pretty sure Matthew and Mark say that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, it was during the Passover, when Jews from all over mm-hmm. the ancient Near Eastern culture came yeah. back to Jerusalem for the Passover. So the Jews had numbers. If ever there was a time to revolt, That's right? And plus, the whole significance of the Passover was Jewish liberation from back then Egypt. Um, so yeah.
0: And could you imagine a more offensive thing that your fellow Galileans your, who would be uh, a poorer area than Jerusalem were – they would have been pilgrimaging down to Jerusalem when this took place, That's right? right? What, whatever year it took place. On the day when we celebrate our liberation, yeah.
1: Pilate has yeah. put his thumb on these Galileans, oh, the, your hometown boys, yeah.
0: <laughs> and so Jesus replies, not not they're innocent and wonderful and I love them and I'm going to avenge their blood. right. Uh, which he immediately says, "Aren't all the other Galileans just as sinful and deserve the same?" What the heck, Jesus? <laughs> they, 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 yeah, they, they, want, they
1: want him to go after their enemies, and instead, Jesus goes after them. Yeah, it's well, kind of like, kinda like insight, it's kind of like I mean, right, we're going talking talk right. about preaching possibilities, but
0: we can talk. I mean, hey, you know, it hit that way.
1: Yeah, the congregation always there are people in my congregation who always wanted me to preach uh, against you know homosexuals or abortionist and people out they there like sermons about repentance as long as it's not about out them there. <laughs> right 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 and right, then right, when right, i did right, preach right, on those right. topics i often preached to the church yeah, about how to be redemptive toward yeah, people out there so i yeah. yeah, it's just and i think that's what jesus is doing he's almost saying okay
0: well let's no, let's talk about you yeah not so good that's, it turns it around which is tough yeah i tell you no but unless you repent you will all perish the same way suddenly terribly in judgment and then there's this parable and um yeah i don't know i mean we're already we're already about 20 minutes in so let's let's uh let's take a short breather and when we come back let's dig in a little deeper and make sure to hit a little bit on the second half of the parable as well does that sound good great all right so we'll be back in a sec. back yeah and we're gonna dig in a little deeper we're already starting to we were focusing really in the first half so now i'll we'll kind of focus on this second half where he he tells this parable that seems to be connected but the connection's not on the surface obvious to me um although i'm thinking about it right he, there's this a fig tree in a vineyard he comes i've been coming for three years and i can't find any fruit cut it out and then this guy pleads you know give it one more year right and i assume this is all riffing off that last you know unless you repent you'll all likewise perish like a, it's it's got a it's got an eschatological feel, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. something is coming, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not, uh, there, there's this kind of threat of punishment out there. Um, and the punishment is a consequence for a fruitlessness, right? And he's saying, you know, here's your chance that, I mean, there's no question. This is a hard saying, but, and it's a call to repentance, but of course, a call to repentance is a, mm-hmm. is a, is a grace. It's saying there's still a little bit of time, not a lot, but you've got one more year, right? Yeah, Is that?
1: I, and I love that. Because yeah. I, you know, I I think a good sermon moves from from bad news to good news. Yeah. Just okay. being honest about the human condition, but hopeful about God's grace. Yeah. And I feel like Jesus gets to that with this parable. It doesn't sound maybe real gracious, but <laughs> yeah. but uh you move from repent or perish to here's another chance. Yeah. Get it right. Be intentional. Uh, the you know ticking. put some put some <laughs> put some manure down, you know yeah, i mean yeah, um, uh, you know get that get that fig tree producing fruit,
0: yeah, and i mean it, it's fitting when we move into the second half of uh, the passage here that we get into some more complex issues of of interpretation not only of the text on its surface but kind of like how it relates to the other gospels right so i've got my synopsis out here and even without a synopsis you probably or most bibles would have citations but you you might have heard of it right when, That's he, what when he came triumphantly
1: into jerusalem and he went into the temple yeah. before he went into the temple i think he sees the yeah. fig tree and curses it may it never produce fruit again yeah and because at least when it I, because when i wanted when i came by to see the fruit it wasn't yeah. there so curses the fig yeah. tree jesus says And then he goes into the
0: temple and clean, clears house. And I think it's the next day, at least in Mark, the next day, the disciples, as they're walking by say, Hey, look, it's the fig tree. It's dead.
1: It withers like, uh, which, which makes it eschatological (sighs) because at some point Jesus is going to show up and if there's not fruit, uh, the tree will die. It will be cut down, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, here it was on the following day when he came from Bethany, he was hungry Um, seeing in the distance a fig fig tree and leaf. He went to see if he could um, find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs, which is interesting. And he said to it, may no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples heard it. Um, And of course, Matthew tells it and he says it and the fig tree withers immediately. Uh, Often Mark breaks stories up in parts that Matthew ties together. But Mm -hmm. Very fascinating, though, because here you have – this is not the only time Luke does this, the, the, I'm, where he, he has some kind of story. Now, we don't know exactly how Luke worked. Was he working with – was he doing personal research? Was he doing interviews? Was the spirit just making him get to skip all of that work and just know? I don't know. But it doesn't matter uh, that much. But it, it's fun to speculate. Like, is he – I mean, there's at least a surface level – a uh, contradiction here where there's a, the, and I say service level, cause there's probably a way to not worry about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not worried about it, but the, it might help us see Luke's maybe unique perspective when we notice his differences. I mean, he, he tells this story. It's a parable that Jesus tells about a man, whereas in Matthew and Mark, you get it as a prophetic action. So it's a prophetic. It's a, you could call it a, a spoken parable, in Matthew and Mark mm-hmm. versus uh, an, a a or in a uh, Luke, but Matthew mm-hmm. and Mark, you have a prophetic uh, action. parabolic action. Mm-hmm. They're both prophetic, what? right? But it's prophetic action. Uh, the The Matthew and Mark version is makes me think of like Ezekiel, right, where God makes Ezekiel like Act do out. things, right? <laughs> Whereas Luke, it's not acted out. It's a story, and of course, Luke has a ton of parables that are only in Luke. Right. So you wonder, does, does he have some kind of source of parables? And, um, it's just fascinating. Like he's right. kind of like, and, and I mean, he does this cause Matthew and Mark also have the, the woman, uh, washing Jesus feet, uh, prior to his death, right. Mm-hmm. Um, in Bethany and Luke tells a story, but it's of a, a woman of the city washing Jesus feet. And happens back in like chapter nine, Right, way earlier, like on his on the journey to Jerusalem. Yeah. So this isn't the first time Luke moves something that right. they put at the end of Jesus' ministry, right. Right. and he kind of puts it in the middle. Although again, I'm interested in this less about what really happened, yeah. and more interested in what's he trying to yeah. get at. Well, the
1: gospel man. writers are not are not as concerned about chronological placement yeah. as we are, but theological placement. So they yeah. put stories together uh for th- for theological significance not for chronological so what do you think actors? maybe
0: his theological point is here by moving it earlier in the story I mean I have I have a hunch about that I don't know if I have a hunch about how it connects with this I'm lost but the I, I can see the notion of he's really wanting to fill in this big middle section of Jesus journey to Jerusalem and to give it a kind of eschatological repent now kingdom's coming when i get there Vibe to it, and so there's a lot of these stories that are kind of associated with Holy Week in the Matthewan right, and Markan tradition right. that Luke really wants us to kind of start thinking about earlier. Earlier, yeah. that, that's one thing I'm noticing, and I think
1: you know, yeah. What else? This is this is conjecture, but I yeah, think I think, I think it, I think it makes sense. So uh, we learned early in Luke in Luke four that you know, really the first words out of Jesus' mouth, other than what he said as a kid arguing with his parents about why he was in the temple and and then arguing with Satan during the temptation in the wilderness, the first words out of his mouth uh, in terms of teaching are a quoting of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's right. anointing me to preach good news of the poor, recovery of sight of the blind, release to the prisoner, set captives free. So we know from that that Jesus' ministry is going to be about setting people free you, and people on the margins. Mm-hmm. Okay, So stay with me. I'm so uh, so he's, he's saying repent or perish. People still listening to him uh-huh. hear the parable about the necessity of fruit bearing. Yeah, and we're like, okay, well, what does it mean to bear fruit in Luke's gospel? Hmm. In Luke's gospel, bearing fruit may have something to do with setting people on the margins right, free. Okay? Right, okay, and then you turn the page and you look again at the at the placement <laughs> of stories.
0: Yeah, and here's I...
1: Jesus on the Sabbath. Yeah. Healing a woman who was crippled by a spirit for 18 only Luke, years. It's interesting. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. And then you look at what Jesus said to her of uh, Luke 13, 12, woman, you are set free mm. from your infirmity. Put his hands on her. Immediately she straightened up. So if people are still listening to Jesus and open it, open to him, then, 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 Freedom, liberation, is not about political liberation, but about setting people free from their infirmities.
0: Yeah. Yeah? Or maybe...
1: Because Luke's already told us that's what Jesus' ministry is about in Luke 4. So what does it mean to bear fruit? Uh, Bearing fruit is not just about personal holiness or ceremonial holiness according to the Jewish law. It's actually about setting people in bondage free from whatever keeps them in bondage.
0: And then that's the real I mean, one way to put it is that's uh, a different kind of politics. You know, that's a that's uh because it's not like it's very important to always note when we talk about Jesus not being political in the way they think. That doesn't mean he's not he's a political. He's practicing the politics of the kingdom of he's God. Politically subversive, politics, yeah. Right. <laughs> and so the this, the new kind of politics, one thing that makes me think of is like, it's not like he says, who cares about Pilate? Pilate's a great guy. Like he clearly like, uh, would agree that that was evil, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like he's, uh, confused on that matter, but that's just kind of a given. He's moving on to something deeper. Cause I wonder if there's some sense in which Christ is telling them and telling us also like, yeah, you could be, you could rid your oppressors and still not be free, right? Yeah. right? right. Now that doesn't mean the oppression's okay. And that doesn't mean that when the time is right, you know, and it can be done in a nonviolent way, it'd be great to get rid of the oppression. Right. But uh, but can we actually be transformed? So it's not like the only oppression that matters is is personal or something. It's that even political oppression, if it's merely exterior, if it's merely because you'll just trade. What, what do you want to trade pilot out for Herod? You yeah, know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you don't, have you, know, to, like, you don't have to wait. I mean, we, we there you go. You don't we, 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 can t- we can talk about
1: systemic injustice and the need for the church to be engaged in that kind of thing. Yeah. But I think what Jesus is saying is you don't have to wait for Pilate to fall. That's you, don't right. wait, you don't have to wait for Rome to be under the Jewish thumb, the Jews to be back on top. You can actually, yeah. people can be set free right now and you can do it by bearing fruit. How can you do it? Here's, yeah. a, here's a crippled woman who needs help. <laughs> I think There's a hungry so soul good. who needs food, you
0: know, side note, oh. random data, random data point. Just noticed it. Mm-hmm. She was bent over for eighteen years, mm-hmm. and there were eighteen who were killed. Interesting. Now, I am not making any assertion other than, isn't that funny? Is isn't that odd? Um, I'm just jotting it down in my my mm-hmm. column mm-hmm. again. Probably not going to make a mountain out of that molehill mm-hmm. yet, well, but maybe someday. That's um,
1: a, a possibility. When the,
0: when the Gospel of John, when the author of the Gospel of John makes moves like that. I count on making a mountain out of that mole because <laughs> he's, he's really into that kind of stuff. Yeah. Luke's a lot more like – if you, like I always feel like if, if I just had Luke here to interview and it was like, why why'd you write 18 right next to the others? Because that's how many it was. <laughs> like, like, uh, I was trying to be accurate. And earlier you were saying like that the gospel writers are not concerned with chronological but theological authority, which I agree with as a general statement. I would say some care about chronology more than others. Well, and Luke openly... Luke does an act. I mean, Luke... And openly in the opening of the gospel, he says, the opening line of the gospel is, you know, dear Philo- uh, Theophilus, mm-hmm. there are all these gospels out there, um, but I thought it would be good to put one that's basically decently and in order. Now, again, it's almost theological... Or, it's
1: almost a one-upping of Mark.
0: Like I Sometimes... He you know, borrowed from Mark, but I'm going to do better than Mark did without
1: saying I'm Yeah, no, I'm
0: not... Now I'm not quick to just say, because I don't think this is how inspiration works, that like, I I think actually the church is very clear whenever people have attempted to pick one gospel or combine them all, the church has been pretty consistent. No, we have four gospels. We're not going to try to fix it. That's, this is the way that God has ordained us to know the story of Jesus is with this strange kind of multi-perspective thing. Um, But I think in terms of understanding Luke's style and his way of writing, I think Luke actually thinks he's putting things in the correct place. (laughs) Again, just because he <laughs> thinks that doesn't necessarily make it, you know, the way that we should look at it or the way that God sees it. But I mean, like moving that girl, like, cause you can totally make sense of it that he's kind of like, yeah, Mark and Matthew got a little excited that they, they, they think Jesus like actually made a tree with her. It's like, <laughs> he actually just told a parable and they got a little excited <laughs> <laughs> and he could have done, done both, right? He could have told the parable. Well, of course we're patroning our preaching on gospels, yeah. uh, but of course the gospels themselves were based on preaching, right? These, this tradition. was being orally preached for decades exactly. before it was written down. And you could see, I, I could see a parable turning into a, <laughs> yes. an action story, you know. But again, I have no problem with the thought that he did both, right? Huh. And so I, I think that's a fine possibility. We don't have to make decisions about right. these kinds of things, right. but right. Right. I do like to try right. to get inside the author's head a little bit to kind of say like, yeah, he at least has, a, he, has a, he has an agenda at least to help us see a kind of story here, a narrative that like this fig tree business, this, this, uh, this, uh, concern for Jerusalem, um, this desire, this warning, implicit warning, I think about Jerusalem's destruction to come, mm-hmm. that this was already early on. You don't have to wait till Holy week for that. Mm-hmm. I, I think he, that at least is worth taking to the bank Yeah, for what it's worth. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Were you thinking something there? I saw your no. head moving. <laughs> I,
1: I, yeah. I would just want to, Chase down the viability of that option that 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 fruit bearing mm. for the Jesus of Luke. Yeah, has a lot to do with uh, liberating people on the margin. So I want to chase that down. I would yeah. wanna, I would want to read the whole Gospel of Luke and make sure that if I preach that. Uh, that it that it was a theme in, in Luke, and we know it's a theme in Luke. But I mean, I would again, want to just look again, confirm fresh, it,
0: deepen it for yourself, fresh yeah, text, yeah, right? Yeah.
1: That this placement of this story of Jesus healing a crippled woman next to the parable about a, uh-huh. a fig tree that bears fruit or doesn't is, and is, then right after is that, explicit the, the mustard seed, intentional, yeah, right, right, which is
0: not. There's no reference to faith as a mustard seed in the Lucan. That comes right after, which also would be a tree, right? I feel like there's a theme emerging here. And well, what you just sketched there, Lenny, is, a, is an important hermeneutical and also homiletical principle that it'd be easy to see, ah, unless you bear fruit. You know, uh, God, repentance means bearing fruit before the end. Um, and then for us to uh, read in the content of what it means to bear fruit from perhaps some other author in the New Testament... And that might be true, but it could be misleading and actually could be false if we combine two ideas the way they shouldn't be combined. Because fruitfulness, according to Luke, I mean, think about it. Fruit in John, the gospel according to John chapter 15, um, you know, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. And in the context that becomes clear that that's the creating of new disciples, right? It's their mission is the bearing of fruit, right? That's different than Paul. Who talks about the fruit of the spirit, which are the virtues in the way we relate to each other within the community? That's a these aren't mutually exclusive, but that's different. Right. We shouldn't assume Pauline character or Johannine miss you know missiology, right? Or Matthew, which is fruit there, or Mark, and in f- terms of miracles, uh, right? Sort of
1: su- supernatural,
0: right? And um. Matthew, the focus of fruit would be like Sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, right. that you actually do things with integrity and not just for show. That's more of a Methean emphasis. So I think. Sticking
1: with the gospel, sticking with Luke, what does Luke
0: want to say? That's right.
1: And I think most of us and most of your listeners are probably from a Wesleyan or holiness family. And if I were to preach this in a Wesleyan holiness church, Mm. uh, that tends to focus on and has focused on, and I love my tradition. There's so many good things about it. I think we're doing better at this, but for a long time, we focused so much on personal holiness. That is, uh, repentance means I don't, you know, I don't drink or smoke Mm -hmm. or, or look at porn or whatever. But I think what Luke is saying is repentance is actually
0: not with, with,
1: uh, abstaining from the bad but mm-hmm. actually doing the good in the lives of the people around you so that's how i would preach Which it means
0: risking defilement
1: <laughs> it does, mean, it does right mean overcoming <laughs> overcoming some of your uh
0: more legalistic perhaps uh, tendencies prejudice that yeah. comes with that because the legalisms is often covering over racist assumptions about you know because if it's convenient that the rules you've set up are, are consistently broken by certain groups that look a certain way. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when your rules are about what you wear yep. <laughs> and it becomes, totally. I was just listening to a radio program about there's some new law that they're arguing over in New York concerning what you, what businesses can and can't make you do like hairstyles and stuff. And you look at these rules and then it's often like, wow, it's kind of basically a list of, you know, black folks hairstyles. Mm-hmm. Right. So are and our, and even when there are rules, they're not always, you know, applied the same with the same, uh, equity. Right. Mm-hmm. So kind of noticing the way that even our legalisms can actually function to continue, um, keeping people separated and the thumb on folks without even noticing. She's you know? and, 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 really calling and, that and going
1: out, yeah. and going back to the first part oh, yeah, of do 13, which yeah. is, you know, uh, just, in, just in case you were thinking that the Galileans yes. whose blood was mixed with sacrifices were, more sinful than you. And if you think that those on whom the tower fell were greater sinners than you, just nope. so you know, it could happen to you too. You need yeah. to repent. Yeah. So there's, I think there's a tendency in holiness circles to look at the ugliness out there in the world or yep. think of ourselves more hotly than we ought. In some way, I think there's a worm theology too that tells us we're terrible because we're not holy enough. But I love how Luke sets the stage here through the words of jesus that get us actually out of navel gazing yeah. toward the needs of the people around us that holiness and wesley said the more personally holy you are the more socially holy yeah. you will be and it's been interpreted
0: too yeah but yeah well so. this this is great thanks for this conversation so far. let's take a quick break and when we come back let's let's kind of say where would we run with this in a sermon so we'll be right back <laughs> So, Luke 13, verses 1 through 9, the passage for the third Sunday of Lent, the great season of repentance for the church. And I'm here with my uh, special guest, Lenny Lucchetti, and I just want to ask, uh, this is a question that uh, that Aaron got from one of his professors. It was, uh, what's your winkle, right? Your winkle, your the German word for angle, like, well, what's your angle? A sermon's got to have an angle, right? I mean, we had a whole bunch of interesting avenues there. Exegetically, hermeneutically, right? But like, you know, you can't say every, everything you say in your study doesn't make its way into a sermon. Like, where do you think you'd go? Do you kind of have a, an idea? Maybe a focus statement, uh, a sermon title. Uh, maybe there's just an illustration brewing that you could then kind of connect up with the text or, I mean, everyone works differently. So what, what's your angle? Where, where, where would you go?
1: Yeah, I think I hinted at it before. I would. I would, first of all, it's hard to preach that first portion, but it has to be preached. Uh, We preach grace a lot, but I think we have to preach conviction, repent or perish. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality. Uh, And so to get people thinking about what do they need to repent from? Mm -hmm. And then Jesus tells us odd sort of parable. It doesn't seem to have real explicit connection to repent or perish. What is Mm -hmm. it? You know, there's a tree that's going to be fruitful or not, and depending on whether it's fruitful or not, will be cut down and discarded. So then the question is, well, what does it mean to bear fruit? Hmm. What is the sign of repentance that's fruit bearing? What kind of repentance is Jesus calling for here that, that, that's fruit bearing in the world? And, uh, and I would probably, if I were to preach this, I would probably play with that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So of course, repentance means, uh, making a list of places you won't go or, or reading your Bible more, or praying more. I'd kind of play with that. And of course there's, there's something to be said about those disciplines, but then I would turn the page and go to Jesus mm-hmm. healing, uh, healing the woman um, who was
0: crippled yeah. for eighteen
1: years, and then say maybe repentance that bears fruit has less to do with your private personal disciplines and more to do with your social engagement out there.
0: Yeah,
1: that's probably where I would go, especially yeah. preaching in a Wesleyan uh, holiness context. Yeah. Now, if I were preaching this, uh, maybe in a mainline context, that was maybe better than we are at social engagement but not perhaps is yeah. caricaturization but sure case I, by case context yeah. would determine where I would go with this honestly
0: yeah well and even sketching that out for our listeners is helpful to kind of say like yeah well, in your assessment of your congregation yeah. you know it's not just about, about being feel faithful like,
1: to the text it's about being fitting for the context yeah. use Nora, Tubbs, I mean it's when we go even and do exegesis of the text and ask the questions and make mm-hmm. the observations, we have our, the people to whom we're going to preach mm-hmm. in our hearts as we're doing exegesis. Many of us have been taught, you know, you got to separate your exegesis mm-hmm. from your sermon writing if you're going to get the text right. And I would say it's impossible. Yeah. You should take your people with you when you do exegesis of the text.
0: Yeah, I think, I think our teachers make us do that. I think there's a, there's a place for trying to do that occasionally to learn how to be aware when am I making the text say what I want it to say? Um, but the, the the goal is not to have this pure, pristine exegesis untouched by the context of my people and me. Uh, the, but it is important, I think, to be self-aware of my context. So to notice that you know when I read you know certain things, I'm like that might just be me talking there. But you can't take me out of the equation, and you shouldn't. God doesn't want us to. I I told I fully agree with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, Luke was writing his gospel for a particular group yeah. of people. Mark was, Matthew was, John was. And that's why their gospels are different because yeah. their context determine how they shape their gospels and their placement of the parts. So same
0: with the sermon. Yeah. I, I said I was going to do this earlier, but, um, I did, this is a little late, but oh, well, what, formats overrated. I, 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 I was <laughs> apologizing to Luigi. He's going to, he's going to be on in a little bit too. <laughs> um, for being a format fundamentalist, uh, that I was like, well, this is the way I like to do it. And he's like, well, let's do it this other way. I'm like, all right. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, th- this incident, the, these, these things that happened to them, this is, I'm going to a sermon and idea with this, but it doesn't look like, there's a few things that Pilate did a lot of horrible stuff, according to Josephus, but this little commentary I'm just glancing at this is Joseph Fitzmaier on Luke. Um, he lists a bunch of incidents that are like kind of vaguely similar, but not identical. Um, And here's his conclusion. I don't know if I agree with this, but it's, I just thought I'd throw it out. There's no way of telling whether this episode is historical or the result of some confusion of some other incident in first century Palestine. Luke's picture of Pilate in this episode, however, is not contradicted by the brutal person depicted in Josephus writings. And however, it's, it's, Um, Hardly likely that this uh, reference to uh, the death of Galileans is a fabrication out of whole cloth. And this is a a pretty liberal scholar who's happy to say when Luke's just making stuff up. Okay, so and he's saying there's no reason to think he just made this up, especially because the context, even the even the grammar of the sentence is. Um, you know, these people came up to Jesus and told him, you know, about the Galileans, you know, who died. Like it, it makes a reference yes. as if everyone knows about this. Right? right. And of course, the the historical data we have, Luke himself is a historical source. And so, you know, Josephus is He's just, checking sources. Luke's checking sources. It's totally possible that this was a well-known event and fascinating that Jesus would bring up another event. And man, this is, it's so wild when I see this because I'm like, boy, Jesus is doing something here that I would not recommend my uh students uh, who are pastors to do which is when someone brings up uh uh horrible suffering uh perhaps of relatives that you'd mention other suffering of other people it's kind of like dude stay with me. it's the- like standing up in our day <laughs> and saying you know
1: at 911 the sunday after 911 you know, or saying you know what happened to the people in the towers you know, we think, cause there were people who got on it, went on air. I think Jerry Falwell was one of them and said, you know, if this is retribution from God for all the sin in the world. Yeah. And, and, uh, imagine getting up and saying, you know, what happened to them might happen to you, you know, and I, I wouldn't chalk that up to God, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the people flying into the pl- uh, towers yeah. and stuff, but some people did, but, but I mean, just putting it into context, imagine the sharpness of what Jesus said in light of that situation. It's it's a pain, it's a painful part of their
0: past. And Jesus is saying,
1: it could happen to you too. That's,
0: I mean, it's, it's occurring to me, like what's, here's what's on my mind today is, is bringing it home more personally is, I mean, uh, a close friend of my wife's, I mean, I know her too, but she's much closer to my wife. Um, I mean, she just passed away from cancer just last week and she's around our age, you know, forties left three little kids behind, you know, and I mean, when we've been talking privately, uh, Mandy and I, like we, uh, and obviously this is private, so I'm not going to go into detail, but I mean, we, when we chat, we, we do, it does make us think of our mortality. Like that's not selfish. It would be selfish for me to show up to the funeral next week and be like, let me tell you all about me, you know, and how this is affecting me. No, 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 no. Right. Um, But that's the, but the reality is when others suffer, it reminds us of our sufferability. Right. And there's got to be a way to say that. And actually that would be a way to say it in a sermon is for me to say, you know, I I had a, I had a close family friend die. I could say that in a sermon and say, um, you know, I want to be a good friend and not talk about just how that's affecting me. I want to be a good friend and listen to those who are suffering more than me, but I can't help. but Be reminded, what if I too um, left my children, you know, without a mother or father, you know, what what would happen, you know, Um, and how that makes, how that can, that can depress, right? But it can also really like motivate and say, life is beautiful and life is opportunity, Right. It's what Karl Barth calls the the unique opportunity, yeah. which is the name of what it means that God has given us a limited time. Right. God has given us a duration of time um to be on this earth. And and that's a gift because, you know. If we had more time to do more good things, we'd also have more time to do more sinning. Yeah. So that's another <laughs> we have a limited that's, that's amount of time. Yeah. That's another way to that's preach how this. That's another way to preach That's how this, I would you go, know, the time. Instead of talking about,
1: you know, repenting of your sin and uh, you can just talk about the ugliness of the world. I mean, this is, you know, there's there's pain, there's yeah. suffering, yeah. Uh, injustice. Yeah. And if we're ever going to do anything about it, it's now. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to fertilize the soil. We've got to have fig trees that produce fruit. How? By doing whatever we can to engage the needs of the world in Jesus name. And that is
0: the final line of the parable and the final line of the lectionary passage is, and if it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, then cut it down. And notice this just hit me. Verse eight, the man who curses the fig tree in the, in the Mark and Matthew version, right? is Jesus, right? But here it doesn't say who Jesus is in the story. You right. could almost see the man as the father, yes, and the 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 the, the vine dresser right. as Jesus, Jesus. Yeah. interceding for interceding. us. Verse priestly, eight. priestly intercession. Yeah give it one more year yeah, it, sounds like, it sounds a lot Moses.
1: I thought of Moses interceding for the people when God wanted to kill them you know yeah. it, so, you know, uh, was it Abraham with uh, uh, yeah. as well you know if there's one righteous person here you know just right, right Genesis so, 18 yeah a uh, lot, lot, lot of intercession in the Old Testament uh, yeah. saying hey just give this fig tree a little long, give, give this group a little longer give us some more time
0: <laughs> which actually by the way just this is going back backtracking but i mean like this is a deeply like semitic palestinian story you get the vibe like vines is very you know like and even the fact that you have a kind of similar sounding story but with no literary connection finding its way into matthew and mark over here and luke over here in this very different form right you really get the vibe like there's some event that took place that you know luke's not you know, with, he wasn't with a camera following Jesus. He was converted decades after the time, right? So he's getting the gist of Jesus' life here. But like, you can really feel this as a very Jewish, right? Story, right? This very, this parable, this fig tree, you know, fig trees and vine, uh, vineyards show up all over the Old Testament. Right. So, so I think that language and then the intercession that you're talking about. And I feel like that could be a really fun sermon. Um, it's, and it's the same sermon because it's still a call to repentance, but, um, not uh, with one with the authority that Christ has, there's but a, as one who's a, a, a Jesus in your a Jesus in your corner. Right, that's right. That's who's the in, twist. That's Making the good intercession
1: news. on our behalf to the Father. I
0: mean, that's that's that'd be fun to pull that rabbit out of the totally, hat halfway through totally. the sermon too to totally. say he's giving you a little extra because it
1: sounds like he's after us and and is he's, he's just warning, he's warning and interceding. This is coming and saying, you know, the world is a sometimes a terrible place, and we need to be redemptive. Uh, by bearing fruit. I mean, that's it's a, real, it's a real cult of the church. I mean, it really, yeah. is, a, it really is a powerful cult of the church. There's Stop a, complaining about the world. It is ugly. It, there is suffering. Just get busy fertilizing uh, your soil and making sure something grows out of your life. Gosh, that's a <laughs> good sermon. Do what man. you can. I want
0: to preach can. both these sermons. Yeah. They're, they actually did this, they're really the same sermon, just kind of different angle. That's why we kind of adopted that vinkel yeah. terminology, because really, you know, with the same... I, I thought of a quote from James. Um this is where the the kind of boundaries of exegesis are helpful. It's kinda of like cross referencing too soon to other New Testament books. Eh, you gotta be careful when you're interpreting. But then, you know, when I'm thinking what's well, gonna be a great cross reference in a sermon yeah. as a kind of takeaway verse, I it's just this language. I wouldn't even quote it, but but it's uh it's it's the the wisdom from above. It's Jacob, uh, John, uh, James. Um, sorry, it's Jacob in Greek. Mm-hmm. Sorry, geek, Greek geek. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> chapter three, verse seventeen. The wisdom from above is first of all pure, um, and peaceful, and pious, and fair to others. Right, and uh, meets out mercy, and the the fruit of good works right oh here it is and the fruit of righteousness in peace um are sowed unto peace right i mean that fruit of righteousness right but this it's just funny how much fruit shows up in the new testament now every all the authors have their kind of different style of talking about fruit but like the 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 fruit of repentance i just uh, I, I i to to sort of think of how like our our life as christians um, is one in which um, Christ graciously accepts us, even when we're fruitless, um, but invites us into fruitfulness. Right? He doesn't leave us in our fruitlessness. Right? But I mean, of course, he. You know, you don't have to be have fruit to to be drawn in. Right? But um, fruit is expected. Uh, before the end, right? And there's gotta be a way to say that in a way that doesn't kinda undermine people's assurance of Christ's love. You know? well, you know, and like, the, the intercession totally. shows that. And you right? don't want to
1: over you don't want to uh uh make this a moralistic sermon where mm-hmm. it, you know do good, do better. Right, right. I love right. how in this parable, if Jesus is, you know, uh the person overseeing the vineyard for the owner, mm-hmm. um, he says, I will dig around it, I will fertilize it. <laughs> Give me more time <laughs> I, to I work. So if we are the fig tree, if we're the tree that's supposed to produce fruit and Jesus is the, you know, the person managing, you know, the tree, he's putting it on himself to do the work, to fertilize the soil, to get us bearing fruit. So he'll work with us. I, I love that. That we are, Man, under, div- we are we're that we're under divine grace and divine sovereignty. This is not all on us. we got to do our part to work in partnership with him. But, uh, you know, God doesn't want us to put on him what he asks us to do for him. But he also, are, you know, we need God to show up and do for us what we can't do for ourselves. So uh, thank God He fertilizes the soil of our lives.
0: That's great. That makes Christ's action working in two directions. He's interceding before the Father, give them more time, and he's in, um, he's intervening in our lives to actually help bring he, out the fruit. He's prophetically describing so his own ministry. Yeah, he's prophetically
1: right? representing the Father to sinful people, there and you he's go. as a priest representing sinful Boom. people to a holy God. He's doing both in this passage if we're interpreting it rightly
0: well that's one of those those uh things that there's ways in sermons to kind of signal i'm just playing around here because i believe i don't know i'm happy to say luke might not be thinking of the prophetic and priestly ministry of jesus but i believe that that is true about christ given the whole witness of scripture and so that's appropriate in my sermon i just want i don't want to like stand up and be like, Luke is teaching this. Well, no, he's not. I am. Well, we interpret you know.
1: every text in light of the canonical story, right? So, so being steeped in the story helps us interpret each text. And you don't want to overdo that. You have to hear the text in its own right, but our interpretive lens is the biblical story. Genesis to yeah. Revelation. I mean, that's
0: it. Yeah, Lord, that's great. I confess oh, sorry. my sin is great. What happened? <laughs> Lord. You something oh, to I, say? Well, no, I I opened up this poem to kind of end our time today, and I bumped the play button. There's apparently some computer will read it for us, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm going to read it. So I've got a poem. This is Repentance by George Herbert. Are you familiar with him? Love oh, man, he's the bomb. I lost my my, faves. my copy. I lent it to somebody. Oh, I love this stuff. Was it you? Did you no, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I got to no, just love. buy a new one because – Great story. I mean,
1: yeah. <sighs> yeah. in the aristocracy and – Decided to pastor a small country church. That's what he wanted to do.
0: I love him. In obscurity. And he just and write wrote... write poems. And he ended up having probably a greater, deeper deeper impact than he would have if he would have lived his influential life at the time. But So I thought I'd just read this poem as our way of ending. Um, Lord, I confess my sin is great. Great is my sin. Oh, greatly treat with thy quick flow, flower, thy momentary bloom whose life still pressing is one undressing a steady aiming at a tomb. Man's age is two hours work or three. There is the time, right? Each day doth round about us see. Thus are we to delights, but we are all to sorrows old, if life be told from what life feeleth Adam's fall. O let thy height of mercy then, compassionate, short-breathed men. Cut me not off for my most foul transgression. I do confess my foolishness, my God, accept my confession. Sweeten at length this bitter bowl, which thou hast poured into my soul. Thy wormwood turn to health, winds to fair weather. For if thou stay, I and this day, as we did rise, we die together. When thou for sin rebukest man, forthwith we waxest woe and wan, bitterness fills our boughs, all our hearts, pine and decay, and drop away, and carry with them the other parts. (laughs) But thou wilt sin and grief destroy, that so the broken bones May enjoy and tune together in a well set song full of his praises, who dead men raises. Fractures well cured make us more strong. Mm. (laughs) Fractures well cured. That's great. Better to be broken and healed than never broken at all. Well, as we say goodbye here, Lenny, you got anything – this is going to – this will drop mid-March. You got anything to plug going on? Any books? I mean you got books that have already come out maybe that you want to yeah. mention or anything? Speaking engagements coming up in March and April you want to mention or
1: uh, – It's okay. ready to uh, – yeah, I'm booking <laughs> stuff for the fall but uh, – what am I doing here? Yeah, I'm doing a Salvation Army. I'm doing a Salvation Army officers retreat here uh, next week actually, Oh, good. Uh, which will be after <laughs> – oh, this <laughs> lands, birthday. right? Yeah. yeah. But uh, – yeah, excited about the next, uh, next demon in right. doctor of ministry and preaching cohort it will be launched in fall of 2020, we think. So uh, excited to get that going and recruiting for that and, uh, uh, preaching with empathy. My latest book yeah. has been really, uh, well received by pastors and uh, church and the academy alike. So it's been, it's been good.
0: Good, yeah. I saw you. Is there something new that came out with Seedbed? You're preaching in the Wesleyan traditions. That's a, Is that old? And that's, it just that
1: they've they've had that. Yeah.
0: Oh, they're just yeah. pushing it on Facebook yeah, a lot lately. Really. So yeah. forget forget I said that. Preaching <laughs> with empathy. That's the one to get. <laughs> Thank you, Awesome. John. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, thanks. Uh, and be sure. I guess I'll just say to everybody to um, uh, subscribe on uh, iTunes or wherever you get your pods and write a good review so we can get uh, more people know about this. You know, we got people listening, but we'd love more to. To, to benefit from it if there is some benefit there and I'd like to thank our uh, uh, producer Eric for all the great work he does and biggest thank you of all today is uh, for Lenny thanks. for uh, giving an hour to uh, me and the word and all our listeners so Very thanks spot. Lenny of a
1: blast thanks
0: John have a good preach and a great week